Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very much looking forward to both hours, but today we've got Guy Talk in the first hour, and I have assembled the power panel, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, with me on Sunday nights at 5, have all gathered into the studio. We're going to have a lively discussion, and we want you to know that if you have an issue, uh, a topic, or a question uh, for us, we would love to answer it or do our very best to fake our way through it. That number would be 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. That number is text only, so we won't be able to take your call on the air, but we can take your text on the air, and we would love to hear from you. Let us know what your questions might be, uh, because we call this Guide Talk. We're willing to take on any question you might have. Both sexes are welcome to ask questions. We do not discriminate. We'll take any and all questions. So again, 877-933-2484. We'll take 60 seconds and get Guide Talk underway. Faith Radio is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on Podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say Play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio. stuff when you're hearing a banjo. <laughs> Welcome to Guide Talk. We're so glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner in studio, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Thank yeah, you. Nice to have you here. So lead singer for a Christian rock band, Skillet, uh, was talking about some of the modern apostasy in church leaders. And he made this comment. I want you guys to react to it. Why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins? as if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place. He said, that's not courageous, it's cavalier. As these influencers disavow their faith, they always end their statements with their new insight, new truth. That is basically a regurgitation of Jesus's words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They'll say, I'm disavowing my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, forgive others. Hmm, really? Why? That's not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I just want to love others before loving myself. It's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word. 
And to value the teaching of the word, we need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. Mm. Pretty good statement. Mm-hmm. Boy, there's a lot there, isn't there? Oh, there's in a that lot kind there. of statement. I mean, even that last part about valuing truth over feeling, and I, and I think there's such a significant relationship between truth and feeling, meaning that sort of my feeling or, or what I'm passionate about or what I'm attracted to, all of these things really ends up getting defined by the truth that I believe. And so these are not two independent things. What I believe is true then begins to sort of bleed its way all the way through my life and those things that I care about. So my feelings are very much defined by that. And I think this weird separation between them, I, I don't think you can make, but you've got to start with what's true so that your feelings can follow within that truth. Yeah. Your statement reminded me, I had a seminary professor who studied many, many years ago in Germany. And there used to be a German philosopher by the name of Martin Heidegger that rejected Christianity in which he was raised and came out with his new truth, love. Well, where'd he get that? He got that in Sunday school is where he got it. Mm -hmm. He just got rid of the God part. My question is, okay, let's get rid of God, Christianity, everything, but let's love each other. My question is, why? Why not hate each other if there's no God? If there's no right and wrong, why? That's my thought. I like it. Georgie Boy, you got anything on that? I'm a little uncomfortable being next to Tom now, but uh, no, I, uh, I, I think that's right. I, I want to go back to the uh, my my angle always is the recovery and you know trying to change. We've got to know how we feel, but we can't let that dictate who we are. And the only way you know who you are is to know who God is, because God made you. Yeah. So I always want to go back to that. But we had talked a couple weeks ago on the show about getting too much doctrine to work for me where it felt like that you can have too much doctrine, right. but that you get all in your head and, you know, Jesus wept and there was love and compassion there, but to have my feelings guide me, that's kind of what got us into trouble in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. And I appreciate just even that piece of, I know a lot of uh, believers talk about that there's this big gap, right? Between the head and the heart, so to speak, mm-hmm. they may be able to articulate all these true statements, but it doesn't really matter. And I think to your point, George, even this idea of love is what I love is going to be informed very much by what I think is true. And so you have to have the relationship between the two. And truth without love, you just end up hitting people with a hammer. But love without truth, you end up loving all sorts of stuff that maybe we're not called to love. Like ourselves. Absolutely. Mm. Good discussion. I just had a question. Terry uh, just emailed (laughs) in, and he's going to have us look up a couple of pieces of Scripture but he has uh, is concerned about the falling away from the Christian faith, specifically the recent developments with jo- uh, Joshua Harris and Hillsong's Marty Sampson. Um, any would you get care to discuss that? These Christian leaders who have been really declaring. I truth? can, but, yeah, I, yeah. but it's a little different. The, uh, I'm a Lutheran. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is not evangelical, it's very liberal. Just had their national convention. Talk about falling away from the faith by uh, Christian leaders, on the first ballot, they reelected head bishop Elizabeth Eaton, who doesn't believe anybody is in hell, hmm. who defends abortion access, and is very much into the LGBT movement. She got reelected on the first ballot. Then they started passing resolutions. One of the resolutions is that they want um, expansive inclusive language for God. Now, they've already got it. In the ELCA hymnal, they've already desexed all the Psalms, so not one reference to God as he Mm. in the Psalms. Uh, They have a hymn called Mothering God, You Gave Me Birth, but they want more. So now just uh, if you're an ELCA Lutheran, uh, look for God the Mother worship coming. And then after that, they they passed a 
uh, statement that they want the national church now to be educated about transgenderism and the various broad spectrum of sexualities. Uh, this is coming from the top of the church. So uh, talk about the falling away from the faith by those two individuals that you mentioned mm-hmm. that may, people may, may not know about, but just whole denominations are falling away. And uh, Terry mentioned uh, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Mm -hmm. You need uh, milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, uh, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I think there, there's, again, a lot in even that passage. And, and I was, when you talk about the two gentlemen that fell away, obviously there's a, there's a troubling copycat reality that's probably going to take shape is when, when these two men decide to say what they say said publicly, there's going to more likely than not be others to follow. And it, it makes me ask two questions, Bill. One is, uh, what was the faith that they're falling away from? What, you know, was it the faith or was it some version of the faith that they're saying, I just don't believe this anymore? What were the elementary truths that they were taught? What is foundational to following Jesus and what is this gospel? And I think there's a, there's, this opens the door potentially to revisit those questions and say, what are we saying yes to initially here? And, and I think there, as troubling as it is, there was one piece of, of sort of a, a sympathetic reality I, I felt myself having in the moments and listening to the Hillsong worship pastor describe why he was questioning in his faith. And he was asking some of the questions like, well, the Bible seems to be full of contradictions, or how can a loving God send people to hell, or some of these different questions. I invite my students to ask their questions about their faith at the start of every term. I just say, you can write them all down. You don't have to put your names on it. Turn them into me. We'll just see what we got. And do you want to know what questions I get year after year after year after year from almost 20 years of teaching right now? It's how can a loving God send people to hell? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? It was all of these same questions that this worship pastor is asking. And I think there's an invitation in that to wonder about what are we teaching initially about what it means to follow Jesus? And is there space to really answer these questions? Because at least from pulpits these days, it seems like we have 13-minute sermons with YouTube videos primarily uh, that really is drawing people in. And that isn't bad. I'm not, I'm not against that piece of it. But where's the substance, and can we address these really troubling questions? Because they're hard. They're legitimately hard for people. And, and what is unusual about Jonathan Harris is he uh, was a Christian author, has totally publicly said, I'm not a Christian anymore. That's very uh, unusual. What's more normal is you have a Rob Bell who was the pastor of an evangelical church, says, I'm still a Christian, and then denies things like hell. That's mm-hmm. much more. I mean, again, that's that's what's happening in the liberal Protestant denominations. Oh, we're still Christians, but we don't believe in hell. Some of them don't believe Jesus died in our place for our sins, et cetera. So that's, that's unusual. They're just going through the Christian buffet line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I vote for Jesus. Yeah. It's hard, though, because I know when I became a Christian, I didn't know who Jesus was. I had an idea of who he was. So if I don't know who Jesus is, but I knew who I was, how bad it was, and and I was looking for some escape from me, if you don't get into the Word as well-intentioned as some people can be, and I think a lot of these people are, they want to be loving to everyone, but you don't water down God and right. the message to be loving. But I think for me, if I, I remember their motivation is good, but their information is bad, and so is their heart, as we all are. 
I got. I have to know who God is, and I can only do that by being in the Word. And yes. as you said last time, Tom, being in a church yep. that preaches the Amen. Word, right? Yep. I, if you don't mind, Bill, can I quickly tell people Please? about? I went to a wedding last week, uh, presided over by a United Church of Christ pastor. The UCC is the most left wing of all the denominations. A, co- a close second is probably the Episcopal Church and the ELCA Lutherans and the PCUSA Presbyterians. Okay. My niece is getting wedding, getting married. I go to Omaha. In Omaha, there's now something. It's the only kind of it, the only of its kind in the world. A tri-faith campus where they have a Muslim mosque, a Jewish synagogue, and a Christian church, all at the same campus because we all worship the same God. All right. So my niece, unfortunately, has been attending the congregational church that's part of that. So I went to the website. Uh, I I have a buddy that went to that church. He finally left because everybody goes to heaven, according to this pastor. And then uh, you go to the website. He does not believe, you know, he says he's a Christian pastor. He does not believe Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. He believes many paths lead to God, and he's helped transition that church over to this tri-faith campus, and lots of people, hallelujah, have left his denomination. Okay, so he comes out to do the sermon. Uh, It was so doggone nice. Have I ever shared the three pillars of liberal theology here? Pillar number one, God is nice. Pillar number two, we too should be nice. And pillar number three, isn't that nice? (laughs) Those are the three pillars. And he came out and he did this sermon it was so doggone nice. You wouldn't dream that we're sinners in need of a Savior. His main point was God is love. Let's love each other. Well, amen. But he, he tortured the English not to call God a he. It was God, 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 God. And it was such, I mean, and, and probably almost nobody caught it but me because my antenna are up for this kind of thing. But sure. it, I mean, it was so nice and blah, and nobody would have been saved from that sermon. So, you know, your whole question, Bill, about... People in leadership that have fallen away. What really is trouble? Some is people who have fallen away and they're still in Christian leadership. <laughs> so there you go. I can see how that happens, though. Okay, <laughs> so uh, you become a Christian in your mind. You get away from the Word a little bit, and you want to do the good things. But the Bible says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm a new creation in Christ. And if you don't know the word and you don't have it preached to you, that's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And if I get away from that, I start thinking, I got it. That's why I still sin. What do you think? Yeah, we got to pause because yeah, we do have a break to go to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is the show that we're doing. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, and we're going to take a little break when we come back. Lots more of guy talk. If you have a question, let us know what it is. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Be back in ninety seconds. Glad to have in studio today Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser, co-host of Real Recovery. So that was interesting, Peter, when you were talking during the break about the hardening of your heart. Say more about that. Yeah, so my son was, uh, he's 19, and he just came walking in this morning and said, uh, Dad, and, and we're reading through Scripture as a family with some other families, and he was troubled. He began to do sort of this this uh, hyperlinking word search where it shows up in the biblical text a number of times that God hardens somebody's heart. 
And he even was referencing some passages with which I was not familiar and began to see this pattern. He said, how is this possibly fair, Dad? I mean, the Philistines are just hanging out, overseeing the promised land, and suddenly their hearts get hardened and God wipes them out. And there was a series of examples about that. And George, you were talking before the break just about the importance of getting into the word, but it isn't just simply, you know, staying within our 30 verses of scripture with which we're familiar for our quiet times. There's all of these troubling passages. And we began to do some study around it, the two of us this morning, and, and realized that the original Hebrew word for harden isn't actually harden, it's strengthen, would be, would be the, the root of that. And the idea behind it is that God is simply in these moments, in, in moments strengthening the resolve that already exists. Somebody has already turned away from God. There is already the process of hardening that is taking shape. And in those moments, as God is going to bring forth a new reality, he will simply just sort of strengthen that resolve in order to create the situation where then he uh, lets them go and, and allows their hearts to be hardened. And that's a different thing than God saying, oh, you know what? You seem like you're pretty neutral about stuff, kind of Switzerland about your faith. I'm going to go ahead and just harden your heart right now and chuck you into hell. And then somehow that's for his glory. And that, you know, but people get troubled by these things. And if we can't get into the text a little bit more deeply, understandably so, we get troubled by them. Okay, but how about why do I have to be able to figure God out to believe in him? Well, and that, you know, and I can't think of a more important point. We talk about this in my class all the time, that the Bible never calls us to understand God and then decide to follow. Uh, there, it is never our understanding that creates the reality of faith. It is that you, in the midst of your uncertainty, you decide to surrender your life and bend your knee and say yes to follow God into the unknown. And when you do that, God gives you a gift of faith that resides in your heart that grows over time. And it doesn't, it doesn't dispel the uncertainty. I mean, George, I'm 48 years old and I you know, have way too many degrees after my name. And I still have doubts and uncertainties and I don't get how this works and I don't understand it. And, and yet there's this sort of faith thing that God has given as a gift that persists in the midst of the doubt. So it's never going to be the resolution of doubt that causes us to love Jesus. It's going to be the faith in the midst of the doubt that, that, that pulls us through for a lifetime. And I think so many people stay here and have to stay like, this has got to be certain or I'm not going to say yes to it. That's never the invitation of the text. What's the translation original? I, I'm thinking about saved by faith, not works. It's right. not saved by knowledge, but what is the word faith there? What does it mean? Do yeah, you know? it's, it's, it's a believing and a leaning into and a surrendering even in the midst of the uncertainty. It's a trust move at the end of the day. Uh, Pastor Rock nailed it. It's That's what we're called to, which is why Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And the uh, last part about that is I was so compelled by my theology professor who used to say, my pursuit of theology is an act of worship. It's not an act to be right about all things, although he wanted to have the truth and to be right, but it was an act of worship. He had surrendered his life, and now pursuing these things of God was an act of worship each day, and that seemed rightly ordered and, in that way. And every Christian should have some big, thick Bible commentaries in their house, because I read my Bible every day, yeah. and I'll come across something and think, how can that be? And I can't figure it out. So I have some great Bible commentaries that I open up and I get the wisdom of these people that are smarter than me. And I can't imagine, first of all, when I read something in the Bible that I don't get, I can't imagine just forgetting about it and moving on. I got to get into this and say, how can I say this in Proverbs when it says this and whatever? And I, so I really use my Bible commentaries. Mm -hmm. Every Christian, the ESV study Bible is excellent. What yeah. about uh, just trying to find other verses that attach to the one you're struggling with to yep. try to see if you can't mm-hmm. find other verses mm-hmm. to help illuminate a certain point? Just yeah, using... if you've got a, that's why, uh, what do they call the thing in the middle of your page, the uh, tech, that where 
it'll refer you to other verses right. similar. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what do they call that? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I think to your point is that the scripture writers certainly knew of the other scripture writers. And so there's patterns within the text they're referring back to uh, all the time. And so there's these beautiful themes woven all throughout the biblical text that you can pull out. And 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 I think, Tom, to your point, I, I had a class at one at one time in my life in seminary called First Corinthians. It was 14 weeks, and our textbook was a two. Th- it was about a maybe a 1,600-page mm. commentary on Corinthians. That's mm-hmm. all it was, and I was just mesmerized as the author did such a good job oh. of sort of taking me in a time machine, yep. plunking and, me in the city of Corinth, and I had a like a way better understanding of what Paul was dealing with as a result. And, and of it. people need to not be afraid of go to a Christian bookstore. Buy the Wycliffe Bible Commentary or the New Bible Commentary or the ESV Study Bible. You don't have to be real smart to be able to read that stuff. Why is he looking at me? I don't, <laughs> know, I don't, I don't even know why he's referring to a Christian bookstore. Does one exist? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. They're the last one I can remember. Yeah. 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 No Go kidding. home and watch some VHS tapes at your house, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh. hmm. All right. Here's a sentence. Fill in the blank. I know how I would fill it in. The majority of my problems is the result of doubt. Yeah. Lack of trust. Me. I put, I put selfishness. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think selfishness so often comes because I don't trust because I don't yeah. think somebody has my back. So I better make my way for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, yeah. Or you could just add the word rebellion. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going with both of those, but try, if I really trusted God is who he says mm-hmm. he is, I would always do what he wanted me to do. And I don't do that because I think my way is better. And I think every time I sin, I'm putting myself in God's place to follow me. Yeah. But if I really believed the word is true uh, and he had my best interests at heart, I would not sin anymore. Agreed. That's the basic issue, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, agreed. And we're not there yet. I mean, we, it, we're saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah, it never says our faith has to be perfect because my faith goes up and down and over and out. And there are days, you know, I wonder if I'm saved, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I fight those doubts with Scripture and with communion and fellowship. and other. So, you know, we're, we're not going to be there till we're in heaven. We're, some, some people get so upset that they, you know, they still sin, and they should. I mean, it's good to have a, a dis, uh, dislike of our sin. But um, not to think that, therefore, I'm not saved. Unless you're living in impenitence, and that's a whole different story. But when there's penitence, there's forgiveness. And yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I was telling Bill yesterday, I had one of those thoughts the other morning after my quiet time yesterday, that uh, something I did 40 years ago, mm-hmm. and it comes at you, the fiery darts out of Ephesians. I think that's the enemy, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, doubting. Getting you under condemnation for forgiven sin. Oh, yeah. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll continue Guy Talk. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser are in studio. And that means any question you have for us you'd like us to talk about, discuss, dig into, maybe there is something from God's Word you'd like us to talk about and discuss. We got lots of brain power here. Uh, with the exception of me and George. <laughs> oh, wow. I get to say no, that, John. I'm just glad to be included. <laughs> oh, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. back 
already. Nice to have you uh, with us today. The Guy Talk is underway. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser are my power panel. And we were just chatting during the break about shame and guilt and didn't get very far. And I thought, <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's continue the discussion. Something that, George, you were saying, uh, you had a thought after your quiet time that you had over something you did 40 years ago. Yeah, I should probably, you know, there's a lot I can find now. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think it's out of Ephesians talks about, Paul talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. Yep. Where you get that, it's like all of a sudden you have the flu and you, you're feeling great about God and Jesus and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, you did this. And it's like, well, I haven't thought about that in 30 years. Yep. Thank you. Um, guilt is good, I think, because it gets me, it means my behavior has violated my moral code or God's code. But shame is feeling bad about my humanity, and I think mm. that's bad. But I have guilt uh, over past sins sometimes, and I guess that's idolatry because if, you, if you're faithful to confess He's faithful to forgive me, but I guess my standard's higher than God's. Any input? Mm. And, mm. you know, people are, do- there are some people like me that feel way too much guilt. You wouldn't believe how much I ask for forgiveness for thought, words, and deeds during the day. I mean, I I'm, I'm know it's neurotic. On the other hand, there are people that do all kinds of stuff, and they're Christians. They do all kinds of stuff, and they don't feel guilty about it. There's a happy medium somewhere. But I will tell you, hmm. being the guilt-ridden kid that I was and still am, I heard a sermon when I was about 19 years old that really stuck. And he said, as a preacher that said, Every time you sin, you immediately do three things. Number one, you immediately confess it. The word confess means to agree with. So I say, God, I agree. That was a sin. Number two, you immediately put it under the blood, and you say, God, I believe Jesus paid for this sin, so it's forgiven. And then he said, number three, I immediately forget about it. God's forgiven me. Forgive yourself and move on. So number one, confess it. Number two, put it under the blood. Number three, forget about it and move on. And when the devil brings it up again, you just uh, point him to Christ where you've been saved. Mm-hmm. And try not to re- try not to ask forgiveness for a sin that you've already asked forgiveness for because it was forgiven before God. And uh, it's doubt to ask for forgiveness again if you've already confessed it. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And George, what did you say about shame? You said shame makes us something about our humanity, feel uh, bad about our humanity. Yeah, like we were talking before about showering practices and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I which you guys don't do very often. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I can neither confirm well, nor deny. I got a bunch of other stuff, but that one I got nailed down. Feeling bad about who my humanness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, in dealing with recovery, I would imagine too. I, I've heard it said that uh, shame drives us into hiding. Like guilt is something that we should legitimately feel when we are sort of outside of God's kingdom. But shame is not necessarily part of the kingdom, and it actually drives us into hiding. Mm-hmm. And then we can't come into the light, which is where we're going to experience the forgiveness and the healing and sort of the journey back towards wholeness. I don't know if that is something you've heard as well as I part of the recovery that. process. I, no, I love that. I think getting back to the forgiveness, we had a guy on our show, uh, Dennis Sato. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about working with one of his guys who couldn't forgive himself of a sin. And Dennis said, you're not supposed to. That's Jesus' mm. job. Let him do it. And Dennis told that to me. And it's like, that's been really helpful because that's biblical. I realize I have to forgive other people if my sins are going to be forgiven. That's a whole other topic. Right. But Wait the, a minute. This guy's saying you shouldn't forgive yourself? Is that what he said? He, no. He said, let Jesus do his job. That's okay. his job. Well, and I'll say this too. I believe in confession absolution. Catholics do. Lutherans have it. Unfortunately, they hardly ever use it. But 
James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I I know an older man, and he's the guy that hears me when I need to talk to somebody about my sins. And I've noticed, too, there are like a gal that she's in her 70s, had an abortion 50 years ago. She's dying. She called me up and had to confess that sin. Mm. I just wish she would have done that 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah. You know? So I think we, there's, there's a, Jesus said, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are for, retained. It's called the, the kingdom of the keys, uh, that I give these keys to you. And so I think we need to use that more. It doesn't have to be a pastor you confess to. But, and, and you're not going to have to, conf- you don't have to confess to be forgiven to, a, to anybody. But it sure is healthy. Mm. And if mm. you can't bring yourself to believe God's forgiven you for adultery that you did 20 years ago, I think you need to talk to somebody about that. Yeah. I think uh, Dennis's point, and I mm-hmm. agree with everything he said, was Jesus' job is to forgive you. So if you don't, and he did. Okay, you're there right. You go. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I like that about one of the great things about being in recovery is we get into our brokenness. And anybody who knows me very long knows I need that and I thrive on that. And, and you seem the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is helpful to yeah. share. But I, I go to Christ to get forgiveness, yeah. right? And if you're truly sorry about it, George, don't do it anymore. And that's where I get stuck. The sanctification process is, is hard. If you're truly sorry about it, don't do it anymore. Yeah, and, and it is, I think, a powerful thing to, to talk to other people, as you said, too, Tom, about these certain <laughs> things. Because I, I know in Catholic theology there's an idea that you have to go to the priest because mm-hmm. the priest has to do the intercessory work for you. You can't go to God. And I think in rightfully maybe rejecting that idea mm-hmm. that we do have access to God's forgiveness yep. ourselves, I, you know, again, sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. We say we don't believe in that way of life, but you sometimes miss some of the sweetness and the beauty yeah. of that kind of way of life. So and, that idea of confessing one to another, yep. not so that you can go to God on behalf for my forgiveness, but there's something about coming into the light with those things that we hold in the darkness in a trusted relationship that somehow takes its power away a little bit, and then we begin to be able to deal with those things, I think, more effectively together well, as we hold it together. Martin Luther, leaving Catholicism behind, said of, of James 5, confess your sons to one another. He said, strange priest, this <clears throat> one another, <laughs> yeah. meaning you can just confess your sins to a Christian brother or sister, but nothing's wrong with confessing your sins to a pastor. I mean, that's fine, too. Um, it's just the order, a good order. But... Um, Sad thing is, I mean, I, when I was at my church for 29 years, periodically I would say, you know, I'm going to be in the office on Saturday. If anybody needs to come talk about a sin or a struggle or do confession absolution, I'll be here from 9 to noon. Nobody ever came in, mm. and that's not healthy. Yeah, that's not healthy because it really— I, and I wonder how many guys ha- feel like they have a friend or friends that they really would want to talk to on these levels that feel like they can hold these burdens together mm-hmm. to really share these mm-hmm. burdens with one another. I just, there's so many relationships that just don't dig beneath the surface that That's are mostly right. because of a commonality on a job or because we have an, a social affinity like golf or something. We have these relationships, but do we really have these friendships where we can really walk it out all uh, the way to the end together? I have a friend who was an evangelical Christian with me in college. Then for 35 years, he turned away from Christianity. In recent years, he's become an Orthodox Christian. He's got a porn problem. Before he takes communion, they have to go to confession to the priest. And he hates going to confession because he has to talk about his porn problem. Mm -hmm. And it is so healthy now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that he's putting a dent in his porn problem, you know? Yeah. So...
You know, one of the things we talked about with the guilt, I think it ties in, guys, to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show with feelings and knowledge. I might feel like I'm not forgiven, but I have to have that uh, overridden by the knowledge that Christ forgave me. And I wouldn't have that if I didn't know my Bible. So I think that plays here. I I think so, too. And I think especially uh, with the idea that we're sort of these sinners in the hands of an angry God. And and, and I understand that on one level, except that... um, it actually said that the reason why God came was out of love. And we're not talking about the love of the permission kind of love that you were talking about earlier in the show, Tom, where love and permission mm-hmm. have kind of come, come to mean the same thing. But we're talking about a God mm. who is willing to pursue us and give up everything for the sake of our wholeness. That's mm-hmm. a different kind of love than just this sort of idea of, well, just live and let live and be and let be. No, God actually gave up everything so that we could be whole. But wholeness has within its definition that God has a way of life that's good for us, and we need to bend our knee and return to that. And so this idea, we're not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We're sinners in the hands of a God who is pursuing us towards wholeness. Then we might come into the light, George, with our stuff, right? If I I may defend Jonathan Edwards. Well, and I'm not saying that Jonathan Edwards is wrong. No, but just 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 for people that don't know, that's the most famous sermon in American history in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan Congregationalist preach sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a scary sermon, and he urges you to flee to Christ before it's too late at the end of the sermon. And I'm thinking, when have you ever heard a sermon like that in the last 30 years? And in fact, my buddy that went to that liberal congregational church, he said, yeah, you got on one hand, Jonathan Edwards, and on the other hand, this liberal pastor that he left. So, you know, it ain't what it used to be, but both are true. Yeah, got, God's anger is real, and his love is real. They're both true. And it, it, you can fall off either side of the horse, but somehow we got to maintain that God hates sin. He's a holy God. At the same time, he loves sinners and sent the atonement through Christ. So, yeah. I heard a sermon like that two weeks ago. Oh. Yeah. From him? From Peter. There you go. <laughs> I, did I do sinners in the hands of an angry God? I don't I, remember that no, part. That was great. That was a great sermon. No, Today no. it's sinners in the hands of this great big marshmallow grandpa, and you go ahead, do whatever you want, because, hey, God is love, 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 love. Hmm. That's what I got at that, at that wedding. Oof, that's not good. Kind of. Well. All right. In 1939, on this day in 1939, The Wizard of Oz premiered at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. <laughs> Ooh. And a a critic from The New Yorker said this in his review. Uh, The Wizard of Oz displays no trace of imagination, good taste, or ingenuity. Either you believe witches talk like that or you don't. I don't. Since The Wizard of Oz is full of stuff as bad as that or worse, I say it's a stinkeroo. Wow. Wow. Did that person lose their job at the end of the day? Uh It seemed like they missed the mark on that one. Yeah. My, My point that I want to get to is... How do you deal with criticism, and hmm. and do you have stuff that has really stung and has stuck with you for a long time? That movie did. It really freaked me Were you out. afraid <laughs> of the witches or the flying monkeys? Oh, the flying <laughs> monkeys. The flying, flying monkeys, monkeys right? Oh, the my monkeys gosh, they're were terrifying. terrible. Oh, the monkeys were horrifying. too, though. Disturbing. Hey, what? The witch, too. Go kill. Oh, oh, no, yeah. The monkeys. Yeah. The monkeys with the little vests on. They were flying. Yeah, I don't need the music, Tom. No, I remember a time, Bill. I mean, when you first say that about criticism, I remember a time we had one of these classes. I went to Wayzata High School here, just west of the Minneapolis area. And it was senior year. We had a class called Seeing Yourself and Others. And as one of the practices in the class with your 20, you know, fellow classmates, you got your opportunity to sit in the middle of the circle and then people got to say out loud what they saw in you. Mm. And it, and if it was unduly critical, perhaps, then they were invited to write it down so that it wasn't said maybe in front of the rest of the class. And uh, to this day, I remember exactly how I felt 
when somebody handed me a note, uh, and it was from my, my best friend from when I was five years old, and I'm now 18. And so it's 13 years later, and in the note it said, you know what, Peter, why does the entire room have to revolve around you every time you come into it? And, uh, and, you know, and, and, and that stung. I mean, I didn't change anything, obviously, uh, so, but, but it still stings to this day. But, you know, that really, and, and it was one of those moments where, um, I don't know that he was for me. And so I think that's why that hurts so badly, okay. but it's one thing when you know somebody that you trust, that you talk to can, can say things to you that then can maybe to invite you to, it, it caused a whole series of different reflection in my life, but it was a really painful moment yeah. for sure. Well, Ephesians, what? I can't remember what the chapter Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. It doesn't say speak the truth with a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. It says speak the truth in love. And, you know, if anybody's out there and you have to have a difficult talk with your pastor, there are some pastors who just have a real thick skin. I, w- I had a real thin skin, and it hurt me when people mm-hmm. would criticize me. But, you know, I remember one day this lady came to the office. Well, Pastor Brock, can I talk about something? Sure. Well, can we pray first? This is hard for me, and I have to say something that's hard. Okay, let's pray. We pray. She was so tender and loving and kind. There's no way I couldn't have heard her out. She was mm-hmm. wonderful. But on the other hand, you get other people just blasting you. And, and it hurts. I mean, for some people, it doesn't as much. But if you've got a thin skin, you just got to pray about it. And if you have to, confront them back, <laughs> which yeah, is worse. People who say, can I be brutally honest, they're oh. usually more brutal than honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. yeah, it's very true. So, George, any criticism that stuck with you for years and years? I can remember everyone my whole life. <laughs> you, mean, you mean people that are still living? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You yeah. haven't uh, killed. Took care of business, didn't you? You know, <laughs> that that was one thing that uh, I've, I've worked on changing when I got sober mm. was uh, that it wasn't negative feedback. It, a lot, there's always some truth to it, even yeah. though you don't like it. And <laughs> what I try to do when, when I share it with people is, is this person capable of hearing it? Uh, is is it kind, and are they ready to hear it, and do I have their permission? Because I think we've worked together, and you've heard me go, are you asking me what I think? Uh, I think that's really important, but mm-hmm. you need to have some people that you subordinate your ego to that have permission in your life to tell you, hey, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing it again, because we have patterns where we get out. Yep. And my guess is what that person said to you is also one of your best traits. Mm-hmm is, uh, you know, you like to engage an audience or whatever. Do, do we overshoot it all that? I do all the time. And I need people like my wife and, and uh, my friend Danny. Uh, this week he's my friend. After he tells me what to do the next time, he won't be. But, <laughs> but you need that because yeah. there's that in the word. That's the word with flesh on it to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, and I think about those things that I need to have people say stuff because it's, yeah, I walk around so blind so often to the things. I, I don't wake up in the morning and say, gosh, I really want to be a jerk today. But there's going to be things that I'm doing that I might not even be aware of that I'm, you know, really a jerk. And I really need people to, to help see some of those things. I, I mean, like, most of, excuse me, don't, don't you always think you're right in what you're doing? Oh, I, otherwise time, you wouldn't yes. do it, right? Absolutely. I just saw a T-shirt. I'm not arguing. I'm explaining why I'm right. (laughs) All right. I need to take a break. We'll be back in 90 seconds. You're listening to Guy Talk. Dr. Peter Kaffner, Pastor Tom Brock, George Fraser. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and George Fraser in studio. We're, we're having guy talk, and I sure enjoy it. 
Here's a question, gentlemen. When you were a younger man, who did you see and want to be like? Unacceptable answers would be Sean Connery and Joan Ameth. Hmm. <laughs> I wanted, you know, one of the people I wanted to be like yeah. uh, when I was uh, 19, 20, 21, there was a few preachers that I, I used to hear. They were so good, and they'd make you cry when you, they preached. And uh, those are some. Uh, to, uh, one of them was at Bethel College back then, and another was at the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle. So those those were... Oh, and the other one, we talked about the problems at First Covenant downtown, but mm-hmm. the other one was David Larson way back then was a tremendous preacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, I think my... First person that comes to mind, it's a bit more mundane, but I certainly enjoyed baseball growing up. It was a central part to my life. And there was a, a first baseman for the San Francisco Giants, Will the Thrill Clark was his name. And he, <laughs> he batted from the left side, and I would stand in the garage, and you could kind of see your reflection in the window. And I just tried to mimic his swing perfectly. <laughs> and I wasn't a left-handed hitter, but boy, did I want that sweet, smooth swing. So it's yeah. kind of silly, but that was the guy that I wanted to be. Yeah. George? I was thinking when he said that, and this shows how old you and I are Willie McCovey when he said first baseman for the Giants. Um, I think my dad for a lot. And then um, as I got older, there was a guy I met named Bob Johnson mm-hmm. who helped me quit drinking. And Bob was a, a Catholic Christian guy who was a cool guy. And he made it okay for me to be in recovery rather than being ashamed of it. And yeah, and I still think about him. He passed away a few years ago, uh, How- but I know I'll see him again. There you go. How about you, Bill? Uh, well, uh, one man in particular was a, a great mentor of mine, Kerry Humphreys, mm-hmm. senior. He's uh, 90 years old. He's still with us and just going 100 miles an hour. I mean, he, he's he been on four international missions trips in the last two years. He's 90. Wow. Wow. No. wow. And he doesn't, you know, he would he would give me a lot of great counsel, but all I had to do was watch his life yeah. and just watch him live it. And you look and go, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Right. Can yeah. I ask? I'm just curious. Yeah. Preceding my TV show is a show called The Christian Worship Hour with Pastor Harold Salem from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Anybody know ever see this show? Mm-mm. He's 98 years old. He's a Baptist preacher, mm. and it's great. Mm. I mean, he's 98 years old, wow. and he's sharp as a tack, and he preaches just like you would think mm-hmm. a 98-year-old Baptist would preach. I think what I love about those two stories, too, is that this idea of retirement, right? Uh, you know, and I just— I, there's no retirement in the kingdom. I mean, we might change our vocation and not have to maybe be employed by an institution for 50, 60 hours a week, but what does it mean to not actually retire from yep. the kingdom? And I think that gives a purpose that's different than I'm going to go head down to Arizona for six months out of the year and do some crossword puzzles and golf and then wonder what I'm doing with my life. And so You just made it personal for George. No, 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 no. I don't do crossword puzzles. No, Come on. That's smart thought, enough. But yeah, I would have thought yeah. Bob Newhart for you. Uh, Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, Peter. Now you're on the list. Yeah, what were well, you talking about? It's <laughs> that sermon comment from before. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, uh, is it important that you're intentional about affirming people? And if so, when was the last time you made a point of encouraging someone? Oh, I think that's a huge deal. And and But if it's done in a patronizing way, people can sniff that out, mm-hmm. right? When you're oh, just yeah. saying stuff that's kind of baloney, but you're saying it to be nice, as right. opposed to really taking a second and, and just noticing something in a person. Um, boy, I, I know, again, it, it sort of just brings some some soothingness to my soul when somebody says it to me. So to do yep. it to somebody else, you can really sense that, that it matters. And when I years ago went from being the associate pastor to the senior pastor and complimenting people is not much on my radar screen. <laughs> when I became senior pastor, I quickly learned I've got to compliment my staff. 
because they just everybody yearns for it. I do too. And so it, what what I've learned to do is, and I don't do it every day, but when I see somebody doing something good, to tell them, you know. So I yeah I I learned that I uh, was speaking at the Salvation Army a few years ago, and I think it might have been you, Bill, who came up and gave me a compliment, mm-hmm. and I thought. Gosh, that really made a difference. Yeah. I should do that more often. So when I go hear people speak, mm-hmm. like at church, like yours two weeks ago, <laughs> I want to go up and tell you how much I appreciate it because I did. And that does mean a lot. It does. Yeah, it does. And when you sent me the text that you sent, it, it really, it, mm-hmm. it mattered. It, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it would matter until all of a sudden you did that. And it mattered. And, and I, you know, it's so cliche to say it made my day, but it kind of made my day. So and, let uh, us, that's a big deal. Let us say to our listeners, try to, before you go to bed tonight, Thank somebody or yeah. encourage something about one thing. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you struggle with conflict, interpersonal relationships, and do you feel like you have good tools to deal with it? I mean, I think that's a guy issue yeah. in general. Do guys have good tools to deal with conflict and conflict resolution? I hate conflict. I know. I do but, too. But mm-hmm. it's and mm-hmm. and they're. You know, being a pastor, you got to do it, whether you want to or not. But it is nice when you find a good elder who loves doing it, and he does it in a good way. Then you can hand him some things. Mm-hmm. But if you have to do it all by yourself, that's the one thing that almost made me want to quit was having to confront people about their sin. But you know, you pray and you do it. Yeah, it seems like it depends on the circumstance, and and maybe if I'm working for an organization or something, you you know you have conflict management training and all those sorts of things, and feel like you can kind of at least navigate the conflict in some organizations. But I would say, when there's no HR sort of hovering over your head when it comes to being married or something like that, I, I'm and this is this is the last couple of years realizing just how poorly I communicate in the midst of conflict with my wife. I just. I had didn't. I, it goes back to something we talked about earlier. I was pretty sure I was pretty dialed in with my ability to communicate for the first twenty four years of our marriage, and just coming to grips with some facts. I'm like, huh, maybe I'm not quite so good at this as I thought. And uh, and and so when you're out of sort of the bounds of you know I've got to have conflict management in my business, that's different than a relationship. And I'm can say I'm not great at so it. So do you feel like you don't have a lot of good tools? Yeah, I, I think you know it feels like I've probably been told the tools at some point in time that might be helpful, but I never really paid attention to them. So <laughs> if I don't have them, it's not because I wasn't told them. It's just because maybe I didn't think it was important at the time. Do you think men struggle with lack of tools that they really I, don't have what yeah, it takes? That's to, a good question. And, and here's what helps. Here's a good tool. I lived for years, many years ago, with a Christian guy and got great guy, and and we got along well. But once a week, we had fellowship time where we'd pray, read the Bible. And that's when we would ask the question, am I doing anything that's driving you nuts? And because we did that every week, that was the safe place to do it. It was also, Mm -hmm. you knew it was coming so I can get this off. That made it happen rather than, you know, not. not, So I think once a week, if you were married, to say, let's have fellowship time, honey, every Wednesday night. And then at the end of each time, say, am I doing anything that's bothering you? What can we talk about? And I think this is where fathers can really come in with their sons. I mean, you talk about tools, right? Where do we get our tools? And you think about how many sons say, hey, my dad taught me how to do this with a car. My dad taught me this or that. But I don't know many sons that said, hey, my dad really taught me how to do conflict well. Mm hmm. Unless he was spanking me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, mm. as though God were making his appeal through us. Mm. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thoughts on that verse? 
Uh, it gives me chills. It gives me chills. Yeah, we talked a little bit about retirement a second ago, and our actual vocation in this world is not the job that we carry. It is to be an ambassador of reconciliation, and, and to how and people. where that plays itself out yep. is going to be unique to the individual. But there isn't another purpose or vocation that I know of, and uh, and to to live a reconciled life that shines the reconciliation in the world uh, around us. I don't know of a, of a different purpose that we have. And mm-hmm. to beg people, I mean, when I. When I started many years ago to believe in eternal hell, I think that's why Paul says we beg you, be reconciled to God, because mm. once you die, it's over. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's our job. Mm. I look at the quality of people's recovery as the quality of their relationships, and I have one in my life that's not reconciled, and I don't know if I'll ever be able mm-hmm. to do that without compromising myself. That's always a good yeah. out. Fair. And Super fair. It says in the Bible, as far as it is depends your, on you. depends on you, be at peace with one another. Mm. That's an easy out right there. But, uh, you know, but it, it bothers me. Yeah. It, it, right with you. When, when I'm not, does. when I have a disagreement, my number one thing is to leave. <clears throat> yeah. Which I'll be doing shortly here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank uh, you guys for coming in. It's been great having Guy talk with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Pastor Tom Brock. You can go to his website, pastorsstudy.org, pastorsstudy.org. And George Fraser, you can go to his website, which is I'd rather be playing golf.com or something like that. (laughs) I am golfing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that wraps up our hour. Thank you so much uh, for being here. I always love Guide Talk. It goes quickly. Coming up in the next hour, John and Pam Bloom. We call that Deep Thinker Thursday. We'll take a short break and be back with the Blooms in just a couple minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.